Well, let's turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to discuss some things this morning. Hopefully that will help us. 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 6. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 6. For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. But the end of all things is at hand, which we can say, that's today. <laughs> Peter's writing this. Of course, one of the last books written was 96 A.D., roughly, for the book of Revelation. So Peter's writing this before then, and he's already stating but the end of all things is at hand. Here we are in 2024. We can say the end of all things is at hand. And it's even now more so than it was in Peter's time. But still the same thought is there. But be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Be ye therefore sober. We would say sober minded. Means being able to control your mind. Being able to have that self-control. But using that sobriety of mind. Not being deceived. Not being blinded to different things, not being duped, we would say, but also having that sober mentality. You see things for what it is, but you're able to handle it with quick reflexes, with the properness and appropriateness of the situation. That is one thing that we can say that even in a natural sense that makes drunk driving or driving under the influence, whether it's a drug or alcohol, whatever the case may be, what makes that dangerous is not so much just the fact of they have participated in a, we would say in, for Christians it's an immoral activity, but really it, it impairs your judgment. It impairs your ability to stop the vehicle, to accurately steer the vehicle, to stay in the lane that you need to be in, to make the appropriate turns, know how to use the turn signal, know how to turn it off, know how to turn off your brights at night time, know how to turn on your lights at night time, knowing all of these things that a, a, a sober mind would normally know how to operate. But a mind that has been participating in things that alters the state of mind can't do on a regular function. So, for us as Christians, we're to be sober-minded in these last days, not to be drunk on sin, not to be drunk with the things of the world, but to be sober-minded, have that self-control to say, I'm focusing on Jesus and I'm not allowing anything else to grab my attention, to impair my judgment. So to be sober-minded. And watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity or fervent love among yourselves. The word fervent there means hot on fire or red or glowing. So red glowing, hot on fire, love among yourselves. That means we're to have that kind of love toward one another. We should rejoice when we get to see each other. So praise God. Praise God. We get to be in the house of God together. We get to love on one another. We get to help one another. Then it says, for charity or love shall cover a multitude of sins. Hmm. Now, many times we like to apply this verse to us recorded 
in reference to God. Well, love covers a multitude of sins. God loves me, so he's going to cover a multitude of my sins. Well, that's accurate if you, as long as you're seeking for forgiveness. As long as you're talking to him about it, he'll forgive you, and his love will cover your multitude of sins because you've been forgiven through Jesus Christ. But notice what Peter is saying. Above all things, have fervent charity or fervent love among yourselves, for love shall cover a multitude of sins. That's talking about love for one another. <laughs> so when we love one another, it's going to cover a multitude of sins. It means you're not easily offended. <laughs> I can't tell you how many. There have been a few people that's left this church offended at me. Why? Because I preached the truth. I just preached the word. Now, I'm not harping on them because that's their choice. But really, if, if we all walked in the love of God for one another, as the Bible tells us to, then love would cover a multitude of sins. Now, I'm not saying that I'm in sin preaching the truth, but you would say, okay, well, all right, well, let, me, let me at least say, if the pastor's wrong, let me cover it with love, and let's get to the bottom of this. Let's be like the Bereans to study this out. Either he's preaching the truth and I'm offended, or either he's saying this to harp at me, which... Nine times out of ten, I'm not, because I usually don't know what's going on in your life. But sometimes people come to me and say, Pastor, you preached a message that I've been reading on, or you preached a message right to me, and nobody else knows about it. Well, praise God. The Holy Spirit does. That's why He gives me those messages. That's why He gives me those verses to speak to you, to show you that He's real, and that you're in the right place. Amen. But we can see here for this, for charity, love shall cover a multitude of sins. That means we're to cover each other in love, because we're all human. We're all going to have bad days. We're all going to have issues that we're going to get. Somebody's going to bite at you or whatever. But you got to say, you know what? I love them. They're just being goofy today. They've probably had somebody peeing their Cheerios or whatever, however you want to say it. They just, somebody got made them mad. So, you know, it's okay. I still love them. I'm not going to let their sinful attitude because really, pastoral moment, if you were to show the love of God toward them, when they were mad at you and maybe sinned against you or just had a bad attitude, doesn't necessarily mean that they sinned, but they had a bad attitude towards you. If you still exude the love of God, probably more times than not, that person will eventually come back and say, forgive me for having this attitude. I shouldn't have done that. You know, you, you did nothing wrong. I was having a bad day. I kind of took it out on you or whatever the case may be. Please forgive me. But the enemy wants to use that as an opportunity for you to get mad at that person and then sin against them. Yeah. Well, they done me wrong, so I'm not speaking to them next time I see them. I'm not speaking to them. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. Or I'll just, I'll show them. <laughs> That's not love covering a multitude of sins. That's you turning evil for evil, which the, Jesus said not to do, <laughs> which is what the Word tells us not to do. That's not the heart of my message this morning. But use hospitality one to another without grudging or without grumbling. It means be hospitable. Take care of one another. That's, this is where we get the word hospital. They're supposed to take care of you in a hospital. Not all hospitals do. And not all hospitality is hospitable. <laughs> if you've ever been to a restaurant where you go in and the, they're supposed to have hospitality. Now, we, we see that as just service. But they're supposed to have hospitality toward their clients, toward their customers, that they're supposed to be hospitable to take care of their needs, to serve them their food. We go in, and if, if we go into a restaurant, and all of a sudden the waitress or waiter, they're mean, and they're not taking care of our order very good, they're not taking care of us, what do we say? Well, I won't come back here, or I won't give a much of a tip, because they're not being very hospitable. Hmm. So, 
this, the Word of God says, use hospitality toward one another without grumbling. So that means we're supposed to be hospitable to everybody around us, whether we like them or not. And we're not supposed to grumble and complain about it. <laughs> so that means we're to serve one another. And you know what helps you with hospitality? When you have fervent charity for one another. So when you fulfill the Word, the Word, things become easier for you in, in that regard. Because if you've already have the burning love of God in your heart for everybody around you, then hospitality shouldn't be an issue. Showing love and kindness to one another, which, love and kindness, I think that's two fruit of the Spirit. The first one is love. And then kindness, gentleness, that's part of the fruit of the Spirit. So we should be having these in our life anyway. But use hospitality one to another without, without grudging, or we'd say grumbling. Verse 10, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. Every man has received the gift, so minister the, the same one to another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So we're to be ministering to everybody. We're to minister to everybody. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Let him speak as the oracles of God, the utterances of God. You speak what God tells you to speak. So if we, if maybe if the Holy Spirit's not stirring within us to say good morning to somebody, what could we say? Well, good morning or greetings. Isn't that the way that the, a lot of the epistles open up with Paul and Peter and James and a lot of them? Well, greetings, servants of the Most High God, or greetings from Paul at so-and-so. They're just saying hello. So many times we will maybe wear the morning or for maybe a midweek service, we'll wear the day on our face and in our heart and in our mouth. We come in and we bite at one another because somebody's bit us at work or we have an issue because somebody else has treated us wrong. But this says when we come in, no matter where we're at, we're to speak of the oracles of God. We're to speak the utterances of God. So if you have nothing else better to say, if the world's been biting at you, at least have a greeting for others because it's still the Word of God. The utterances of God. We're to speak what God wants us to speak. And I can already say this message is not going the way I had planned this morning. Amen. <laughs> the speak of the oracles, the utterances of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. That means when you minister, when you serve others, not just ministering is what I'm doing now. When you serve others, you do it as the things, as you do it as God gives you the ability. Let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Now wait a minute. We, we see Peter here talking about how to love one another. Love covers a multitude of sins. Use hospitality. The minister to one another as good stewards of the grace of God. Speak of the utterances, the oracles of God. Do minister and serve one another and, and love in the kingdom as we're supposed to, as God gives us the ability that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, whom has the praise and dominion forever and ever. And then Peter says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial. That means when we're going through things, we should, we should be mindful of the fiery trial 
that comes against that comes against us. Not so much God putting us through temptations, but the enemy putting us through the fire, so to speak, trying to test us to see if we'll still carry out verses six through eleven. The enemy wants to quench your fire of love for one another, which is what we find in verse eight. Notice Peter Peter says, and above all things, have fervent charity, fervent love toward one another among yourselves is what he says, King James. So the enemy, the fiery trial of the enemy tries to extinguish our fiery love for one another. (laughs) So in other words, the enemy is trying to play, he's trying to fight fire with fire. He wants to replace the fiery love that you have for one another, the the, the red glowing hot love for one another, and replace it with his fire that burns with damnation, with sinfulness, with pride, with arrogance, with all these other things that he wants to substitute for the love that you should have, we should have for one another. But, the, but Peter says here, but beloved, think it not strange. He said, don't think it's some odd thing that the enemy, that this fiery trial is coming against you. Don't think that it's odd because it's exactly what the enemy wants to do. The enemy is setting you up to try you, to test you, to see if you're really the Christian that you say you are. Which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Verse 13. But rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings. Rejoice. Rejoice. <laughs> so I don't feel like rejoicing, Pastor. This isn't much of a situation to rejoice about. Well, if the enemy's coming against you, trying to discourage you, trying to fight you, it means you're doing something right. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times since I've been pastor, I've been under attack, my wife's been under attack, our family's been under attack, this church has been under attack, people of the church have been under attack, and it's like, whatever, devil, you're not winning, we're not giving up, you might as well just quit, you might as well just go find somebody else to pick on, because we're not changing, we're not backing down, so Whatever. Just You need to regroup and figure something else out because we ain't moving, we ain't budging. We're staying here and we're going to preach the gospel. We're going to have that fiery love for one another. We're going to have love covering a multitude of sins. We're going to have the hospitality toward one another. We're going to minister as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We're going to speak of the oracles of God and we're going to minister and as God gives us the ability to. Amen. To give God the glory, the honor, and the praise. Verse 13, I'm going to read from the Amplified Version. It says, but insofar as you are sharing Christ's sufferings, rejoice so that when His glory, His full radiance and splendor is revealed, you may also rejoice with triumphant, with triumph, exultantly. So it means you may, re- re- you may rejoice with uh, triumph, knowing that we have the victory. Verse 14, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you on their part. He is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. So I'm going to read it from the Amplified. It says, If you are censored and suffer abuse, if you're censored and suffer abuse, hmm, you know, many Christians are being censored today. We could say by the government to some degree, by other nations to some degree. Do you know that our stream and some of our podcasts get blocked in certain nations of the world, right? I'm kind of, 
I'm like, I, I'm like, man, I wish they could hear it. But I'm also like proud that at least we're standing for something. That they're taking note of, yeah, we've got to block these people. Yeah, we've got to block these people. Russia's one of them. I'll just throw that out there for you. To let you know, no, we don't have a friend in Russia. We have brothers and sisters that may be there under persecution. But in the government, as far as what they're allowing for their people, they're not a friend of the Christians. Anyway, another message for another time. But also, the kingdom of God is also censored by some Christians. Well, we would say so-called Christians. They censor things. Oh, you go to that church? You go to that church? Well, they <laughs> That kind of censorship blocks out the truth of God because they don't want change to come. They don't want to be confronted with their sin what they're not allowing God to touch in their life. That's also censorship. Just something that I wanted to bring out. But if you are censored and suffer abuse because you bear the name of Christ, blessed... Are you happy, fortunate to be envied with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of your outward condition? So, blessed. That's what all, all of that I just read means what, is what blessed means. So let's read it again. We're blessed. We're blessed to be the children of God. We're blessed to be the people of God. So we are happy, fortunate to be envied. Oh, you know, that's the reason that many people will mock you and make fun of you. Oh, you still, you still doing this? You still believe in that? Yes. Why do they have that kind of attitude? Because they're envious. Because you have a walk with God and they don't. Because God answers your prayers and He turns them away because they're too prideful and arrogant or they probably don't even pray to Him. Or as the Word says, they ask, but they ask amiss. It means they're asking out of the will of God. <laughs> I learned a long time ago from Pastor Chris, and I've, I've taught our guys here, I've taught some of y'all as well, you don't, you don't come alongside unspoken prayer requests. There, there, is a, there is an event that we go to regularly, like once a month. I love the event, but they've kind of slacked off. I don't know if the other guys have picked up on that, but they've kind of slacked off on unspoken prayer requests, and I'm glad. We say, well, Pastor, what's that all about? I grew up, my, the churches I attended when I grew up, they took unspoken room prayer requests. And it's like, okay, I didn't think nothing about it. But when you start hearing the concept of one, a prayer is what you orate, it's what you speak, orate. But also, when you have a spoken, an unspoken prayer request, and we're supposed to attach faith with that, who's to say that who, that person that has an unspoken prayer request is not praying for this woman's husband to die so he can go have sex with her or that he can marry her? Because you don't, if you don't know what that prayer request is, you shouldn't link your faith with it because the Word tells us to try the spirits, to try to see where things come from, that we may hook up our faith with it, that we may be able to link up with it, to, but we've got to know what we're linking up with. We've got to know exactly what we're saying. Yes, we stand with this. Yes, we agree with that. If you don't know, you might want to back up. Anyway. <laughs> but, we're to, but we're to be envied. With live joy and satisfaction in God's favor. So it, part of that envying is when somebody gets envious, they may ask God, and, but they ask amiss. And so when they see that God is answering your prayers because you're asking according to the Word of God, they have the same capability to do the same thing that you're doing. 
They had the same opportunity to be in the Word of God, to seek God, and to ask things correctly according to the will of God, the Word of God, and that He would answer their prayers too. Anybody with a true heart cry to God, He's going to answer that prayer. That is truly in their heart saying, God, I need you. God, I want, what you, I want your will to be done. Father, your word says I can have this. That's what I want. God will answer that because he's wanting to hear that from his creation. Not just his people, from his creation. And he does that so that those that are away from him can see that, yes, when they cry out to him with a hunger and thirst for his righteousness, that their heart may be given over to him to make him their God, to make him their father. To turn their life around. But, we're to, but we are, if we're blessed, we are envied, we're, we have with life joy and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation regardless of your outward condition. That means when you're blessed, sometimes it may not feel like you're blessed. It may not look like you're blessed in the moment, but when we're blessed, that means we're standing for the things of God, saying, God, I love you. I know that right now that it seems like I'm in the middle of a hurricane, but I know that I've got peace with you. I know that I'm blessed and highly favored because of who you are in my life and because of who I am in you. But because or because the Spirit of, God, of glory, the Spirit of God is resting upon you, that's why we're blessed is when the Spirit of God is resting upon us. The only way the Spirit of God will rest upon us is if we give our heart and life to God. That we make Jesus our Savior, make Him our Lord and our Master, the Spirit of God will rest upon us. Amplified finishes that verse and says, On their part He is blasphemed, but on your part He is glorified. So for those that are outside of the will of God, outside of His family or kingdom, we could say, they... He, God is blasphemed on their part. But on our part, He's glorified. Why? Because our lives should be to honor Him. Verse 15, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or a busybody in other men's matters. Oh, i got to see what this says in the Amplified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or any sort of criminal, or as a mischief maker, a meddler, in the affairs of others, infringing on their rights. That's what a busybody is. A busybody is the one that says, I've got nothing to do. I'm not satisfied with my own life, so I'm going to go mingle metal with other people's lives. <laughs> so, but what is Peter saying? Let none of you suffer as them. Why would they suffer? Because they're not fulfilling the word of God in their life. So that means they're a pagan. They're away from God. He says, but let none of you suffer that way. Let May none of you have to suffer as a murderer, as a thief, or any sort of criminal. May none of you suffer as a mischief maker in the affairs of others. Verse 16. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian. So that means there may be times that we could perceive things as suffering for Christ. Now, we are very blessed, especially in America, that we don't have to have church in hiding. We're not having to do things in secret. We have all the Bibles we could ever put our hands on. We have it even on our, on our phones that we can pull up apps and see different things. We have so much of the things of God readily available to us. We are very blessed. 
So many of the things that we may perceive as persecution. Oh, somebody made fun of me on Facebook. Oh, somebody's done this. Oh, somebody said this. Oh, somebody said that. Somebody called so-and-so and told them about this and made, made this up or made that up or whatever the case may be. Sometimes we get that as persecutions. Now, granted, if there are people that are really trying to attack you, attack, your, attack you and you've no, you haven't done anything wrong, that, that is a slight persecution. But in the grand scheme of things, they're not really coming after you physically. That's none of us. Now, somebody may get on Facebook, but that shows their immaturity. So that's really, I wouldn't say, a, a persecution. So there's many other things that we could say is a persecution that causes us to suffer. But it says, yet if any man suffer as a Christian. Not suffer as a criminal, suffer as a Christian. Let him not be ashamed. So no matter what may come, no matter what may happen, don't be ashamed of who you are in Christ. Christ will be my Redeemer. Christ is my Redeemer. Christ will be my Vindicator. He'll be the one that vindicates me. I don't have to say a word. I don't tell this too often, but when we were pastoring in another county years ago now, there was some shadiness that went on. There was some underhanded politicking that went on and while we were in the hospital and miss tiffany's about to deliver ty so that tells you how long ago it's been we were i get a phone call from one of the deacons of that church saying hey i just wanted you to know that this former pastor is gathering up all these people and gathering up all these deacons to hold a vote against you because it was a congregational-led government they're how they're wanting to hold this vote and wanting to vote you out and vote him back in I said, okay, thank you for the heads up. So, I knew right then and there, and I'm not saying this to shame that person, but I knew right then and there, I need to go in and have the mindset of Christ because nothing I can say will change this. Nothing Because they've got their minds made up. They've already put everything in motion. Nothing I could do or, or, nothing I could do or say would change their minds because their heart has been on evil. So, that next that next. Sunday morning, Miss Tiffany had, had delivered Ty, and she was like, you know, do you want me to go with you? Because it was a few days later, so she was still recovering. But I said, no, I don't, I don't want you and our newborn baby, and, and Elijah at that time, he was younger. So I don't want you all to be, to be part of this. So I went into that church by myself, preached my Sunday morning message as the pastor. Right after Sunday morning service, they held their little special meeting and wouldn't you know it that so many people that hadn't been to that church in two or three years all of a sudden just miraculously showed up and in the congregation to vote me out. They said I was too young. They said I was this. They said I was that. They said that this other guy was older. He'd been the pastor longer before. And I said, I just stood there. I sat down and listened to all their accusations and them bringing up people to talk about it and this and that. And, and yeah, it was not a fun ordeal, but I knew how Jesus felt in a small manner. Don't misunderstand me. But all these accusations and things coming against me, and I sat there and just kept my mouth shut. I didn't say, well, if he was really your pastor, he wouldn't have run off because the money dried up. He wouldn't have started teaching you hyper grace, leading you on the path to hell. He wouldn't have done this. He wouldn't have done that. He wouldn't have flirted with other women. That wasn't his wife. But what did I do? I kept my mouth shut. 
because I knew this evil that's coming against me, this persecution is me speaking is not going to change their minds because they are bent on what they want to do and how they want to do it. So I say that when we, when we suffer the things as a Christian, we should not be ashamed. I could, to this day, I can be around that former pastor who, which, by the way, left two more times and was voted back in three more times until the church finally shut down for like forever. So I say that to say, to this day, I can see him in this town because this is where he lives. And I can run into him in Walmart and his wife. And I have no shame. I can look at them. I can actually hug their necks. And say, I'm so, I'm so glad to see you. Praise God. How are y'all doing? Do you know what their response is to me? Well, I, well it's good to see you. We got to go. We got to go. We got to go. Looking around, they can't, it's like they can't look me in the eyes. Why? Because they haven't suffered persecution as a Christian. They have, in, they have inflicted pain as a murderer of a reputation, as a murderer of somebody doing God's will and purpose. They've done the things of a thief, of stealing a ministry that wasn't rightfully theirs any longer. They've done it as an evildoer, as a busybody, because the, when the money dried up, they were gone. But when the money started coming back because I was preaching the truth, people started showing up. All of a sudden, they care about the money and care about the church again. So I'm saying that to say, there are times we will suffer as a Christian, but even in that moment, we shouldn't be ashamed of who we are in Christ and what we stand for. But there will be... Others that will try to come against you and their shame and the way that they react to you and how you treat them, how you treat them with the love of God, how you treat them as in verses 8 through 11, still having love for them, still love covering a multitude of sins, still showing hospitality, still ministering and still being able to serve them in their capacity of just being a human being, a fellow believer in Christ. When they can't look you in the eye and they have shame, that lets you know that they're guilty. But we don't just have to suffer persecution and, oh man, here comes another attack. No, we can have victory over that. But even through the suffering, we can still, we don't have to be ashamed of the things of God. We don't have to be ashamed to know that what we're doing is standing for the things of God and standing against the evil one. Verse 16 again. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on, on this behalf. So the Amplified says, But if one is ill-treated and suffers as a Christian, which he is contemptuously called, let him not be ashamed, but give glory to God that he is deemed worthy to suffer in this name. <laughs> but give glory to God that he is deemed worthy to suffer in this name. Worthy to suffer. So here's something that we need to maybe think about. Is Christ worthy to suffer? Is He to you? Is He worthy to suffer? Is He worthy of saying, God, I'll, I'll suffer whatever I need to just to prove that You're real, just to prove that I'm faithful to You, just to prove that, that I won't turn my back on You, just to prove that no matter what comes and what goes, I've got victory because of you, and you've got victory because at least as long as I'm alive, you've got a willing vessel that's going to do anything you ask me to do. 
So we've got to not prove our Christianity, but just show how faithful we are to God. So let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. So one chapter over. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that, you, that He may exalt you in due time. Humble yourselves under His mighty hand, that He may exalt you in due time. He raises you up because you've humbled yourself. Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. So that means even, because this is the very next chapter after Peter talks about the persecution and things that come after us as Christians, try to make us suffer, we could cast all of our care on Him. Father, you know that I'm going through this. You know that I feel like I'm suffering right now. I'm casting all my cares on you. I'm casting all of my anxiety. Everything that's attacking me, I'm casting it all on you. Then he says, be sober. Oh, there's that word again. Be vigilant because your adversary, your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom you may devour. He's as a roaring lion. Many times we as Christians give him too much credit. Oh, he's a lion coming after me. He's a lion coming after me. That says he's as a lion. He's just he's walking back and forth. He's walking back and forth saying, Who can I devour? He's walking back and forth. And we say, Devil, you ain't got no bite to your bark. You ain't got no bite to your roar because I serve Jesus Christ and with Him I have the victory. So no matter what you could roar at me, no matter how much you try to intimidate me, no matter how much you try to scare me, it's not going to work because I serve God and He said I could put my foot on your neck and declare my victory over you because I serve Him. He outranks you. And so that means by me having an association with Him, I outrank you in spiritual authority. And so I'm stepping my foot on your neck and you have no business otherwise. You have no power to overturn me. Really, many Christians get themselves in trouble because they give the power to Satan to overcome them. Now, I'm not using that as a slight. I'm using that as a refresher for us to remember. When the enemy's trying to intimidate you, trying to scare you, trying to discourage you, trying to overtake you, that's when we need to say, no, 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 enemy. No, no, no. I remember the power and authority I have, and it's not going to be submitted to you. I overrank you. I outpower you, so you're not going to overcome me. I'm going to overcome you. So be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the lion, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Then Peter says, whom resist steadfast. Whom resist being stable is what steadfast means. Being strong. Being sure, being hard in the faith. <laughs> now I like that when, when when I watch TV. Sometimes we'll watch a, a few shows, and I like more like crime shows or trying to figure out like the whodunits or whatever. Now, granted, we like to watch clean stuff, so don't be. There's a lot of things out there, so don't be thinking I'm running and watching dirty stuff. But with the, some of the clean stuff that we watch, you'll usually find that the enemy will grab a hold of somebody that's maybe an accomplice or an associate of somebody else. They'll grab a hold of them, and they will, in a sense, beat them up. They'll try to get stuff out of them. They'll threaten this, and they'll threaten that. And the person that's over here, may, or may, may say the main character, if he knows their faithfulness to him, he'll say, they won't talk. No matter what they do to them, they'll die before they talk. Can God say that about us? 
They'll die before they'll turn back to the world. They'll die before they give over to the things of the enemy. Or does God say, I don't know. They might. They might turn. They might flip. If the right thing's offered to them, they might flip. If the right piece of gossip is offered to them, they might flip. The right, right alcoholic drink might make them flip. The right pornographic image might make them flip. The right thing might make them flip. That shouldn't be us. We should be the ones that God says, nope. I know they're human. I know that they're not perfect. But I know they won't turn on me. Because they have a track record. They have a history of when they even slip on a banana peel of sin, they are quick to pick themselves back up and say, God, forgive me. I shouldn't have slipped. I threw my own banana peel down there. I slipped on it. But Father, please forgive me. Cleanse me. Help me to keep walking. <laughs> Go from like whodunits to three stooges. It's like all in one example. But with that kind of mentality, we should be faithful to the things of God. No matter how much the enemy presses us, no matter how much the enemy tries to get us to turn and to, to quit the things of God. Verse 9, again. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. So that means... The same things that you go through, what, whatever the enemy's trying to throw at you, he's throwing the same thing at your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're not the only one he's attacking. <laughs> so maybe part of this message this morning is to let you know that when the enemy's trying to make you feel like you're alone, you're the only one being attacked, you're not. You're not. I know multiple people sitting here right now that are being attacked spiritually by the enemy because we stand for the things of God. Which is probably the reason I couldn't shake this message this morning. No matter how hard I tried to go to something else. The Lord's like, no, preach this. Yes, sir. Because we need to be encouraged, not beat down. So I'm not preaching this to beat us down. I'm preaching this to encourage you to say, we need to stand fast. Because that, that, that steadfastness will be what makes the enemy go away. It happened to Jesus. The devil came and tempted him. He didn't tempt him with one thing. He tempted him with three. But that attack didn't last forever. What did Jesus do? He kept quoting the Word. He kept quoting the Word with power and authority. He quoted the Word and the enemy had to flee. I think there's a verse that says, Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It's in James. <laughs> so we, we stay submitted. We stay submitted to God. We resist the devil. We keep resisting him. Our resistance never stops against the enemy, and he'll flee. But whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished, or we would say they're experienced by, your brethren that are in the world. But the grace of, but the, but the God of all grace, excuse me, but the God of all grace, who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect or make you mature, establish you, strengthen you, and, and settle you. So in other words, God takes this thing that tries to come against us when we are steadfast in the faith, when we say, nope, I'm not quitting, nope, I'm not quitting, nope, I'm not going anywhere, nope, I'm not moving, nope, I'm not going anywhere. God says, you know what? That person has remained faithful. And He says, I'm going to take my grace... And I'm going to take that person who's been faithful and I'm going to 
because they've suffered for my name's sake, I'm going to make them mature. I'm going to make them established. I'm going to strengthen them and I'm going to settle them. Didn't the angels of God come and minister unto Jesus after the devil attempted him? This verse says that God would be the one to help us after the enemy leaves us. This doesn't say He'll send us angels. This says He would take care of us. So really, because of Jesus standing His ground, going through the plan of salvation, we can have that personal interaction with God the Father. Now, yes, we know it may not be, God may not come down from heaven and show Himself into us in our room, but it's God's grace. It's, his, it's Him Himself being able to minister unto us, to strengthen us, to establish us, to settle us, and to help us. Why? For verse 11. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever and amen. Because we have stood the test, because we've withstood the enemy, then we can, we're, we're still giving glory and honor to God. So He says, you know what? I'm going to go and reward that person for being faithful unto me, for keeping my name clean. For keeping my name mature in in essence of not giving in to sin. Keeping my name faithful. Do you remember we're all soldiers of God? So we wear we should be wearing a Christian uniform. And if we dirty his uniform, then we're misrepresenting him. Now we know that in the middle of battle there may be some dirt flown, there may be, be, be some other things that are in the heat of the battle, but that's when we need to go and cleanse ourselves and wash all the dirt off, wash all the, the stuff from the attack off of us and say, all right, God, I'm ready. I'm ready again. <laughs> I'm ready for whatever you've called me. I'm ready for my next assignment. We found it so frustrating when we were in Afghanistan because the sergeant, command sergeant major that we had, was he, would, he spent most of his career in basic training type facilities. So he wanted everything, everything, like really pressed, really clean, like, I mean, just to a T as if you were in basic training. We would come back from missions in Afghanistan where there's dirt flying everywhere, sweat everywhere because it's 130 degrees outside. I mean, just dirt because you're driving down the road, you're in a gunner's hatch or whatever the case may be, just dirt covering everything. We would get back from missions carrying our stuff back to our CHUES, our connexing housing unit, we would be carrying our stuff, and he would see us and chew us out for being dirty. And we would, it, it'd be one of those times where you just want to drop your stuff and say, Sergeant Major, look around you. We're surrounded by dirt and sand. I don't think there's much way, especially when we've been driving on the road and been gone for like 10 hours, I don't think there's a way to keep that clean. When I've been ha- sticking this half of my body outside of the vehicle and the, all of it's hitting me in the face and coming at me and I'm sweating because it's 130 degrees, I don't think I can stay clean in that. So we found that a little frustrating for him to get on to us. He never wrote us up. Why? Because he knew he would be unjust. But I'm saying that to say this. God doesn't judge us in that manner of saying, you got some dirt on you, you're not part of my people. Because the enemy will throw dirt at you. It's a matter of you saying, I'm washing it off by the blood of the Lamb. I'm washing it off by the water of the Word. I'm washing it off because I want to be clean and holy before my God. 
I'm not saying that we throw the dirt on ourselves as in sin. I'm saying the enemy's going to throw stuff at you to try to get you to even feel dirty. Because if he can get you to feel dirty, you're more likely to quit. If you feel defeated, as if you're covered, he'll get you to quit. Because he'll start playing those mind games that he likes to play. Last verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, last verse. We'll start at verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. <laughs> now, for us, we can say the ministry that we have, we each have a calling and gifting and gracing and ministry and purpose in that regard of what God's called us to do. Not everybody has to be a pastor, but we're all called to evangelize, to witness, to be sent out to, in that regard to witness for Jesus Christ. The Great Commission is for every Christian. So every Christian has a ministry of some degree. So we, outside of that, we could also say this ministry as Abundant Grace Church. You all are called here, so we're, we all work here. Amen. So we see this ministry... So, even with that, we apply this verse in both of those manners because you got to remember, Paul is writing this to the church at Corinth. So, he's talking about their church. He's talking about his ministry. He's talking about the things that are going on with them. So, therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. We do not lose heart. Because that's what the enemy wants you to do. I don't find it ironic that in seasons, the enemy starts attacking and, he, and it's almost like he tries to maybe ping one, ping one person in our church. And then it's like when they're not responding, he starts pinging two or three others. And then he's like throwing like a handful of gravel and just throwing it all at everybody. Just trying to see who he can ping, who he can get to scare, make it feel like gunfire when actually all it is is rocks. <laughs> so I don't find it ironic that the enemy tries to come at us and tries to make us lose heart. But that lets us know We've got to keep doing what we're doing. Hunker down, stand in the evil day, overcome, and don't let the enemy speak fear and doubt into your mind. Verse 2. This is where you faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. When the enemy is trying to get you to lose heart, this list that we're about to read, that means you have strayed away and you have stayed away from these things that we're about to read. So we faint not, but we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, or we would say shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, he says, the enemy's trying to make us lose heart because we haven't done shady things. We haven't walked in, walked in craftiness trying to just pull people to, to gather to us by using tricks and deceptions and gimmicks, nor handling the Word of God deceitfully. We haven't deceived people with the Word of God. But by the manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience. He said, we've done what is right to help others See that you can live a clean and holy life for God. That we've done things clean, upright, and holy. That we don't put anybody out that wants to be in the house of God. That we show them what real Christianity looks like. 
Verse 3, but if our gospel be hid, it's hid from them that are lost. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Notice that the God of this world blinds the minds of those that are not born again. But how can you overcome that? You, give, you present the truth you present the truth unto them to allow them to see. Verse 5. For we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. So we preach not ourselves. I, I like to say that's who we are. We don't preach ourselves. I don't preach about me. I mean, I'll use myself as an example, but I don't preach to, for you to worship me. I preach for you to worship Jesus Christ, for you to have a relationship with God the Father. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty evident this ministry, this church is not into men gathering because if that was so, we would have coffee and donuts out in the foyer. We would give you a watered-down word. We would, you know, give you a trip for, it would give you a free trip or vacation for bringing the most people. We'd, you know, give away a car for bringing the most people. We would do all these gimmicks that would just try to keep people coming in. We don't care about that. We want to give you the truth. <laughs> I would rather have the people that attend here make it to heaven rather than build this place up with all kinds of people and everybody go to hell. <laughs> Amen. For we preach not ourselves, but, Jesus, but Christ Jesus the Lord. Sometimes I may be, for, for this region's sake, I may be a little too honest on many levels. One, I, give the, I try to give the full word as best I can as it fits for the sermon, whatever we're preaching. But also, even in our men's discipleship, if I come across something and it applies to me, you can ask the men. We discussed this yesterday. I said, I need to work on this as a man. I, I said, I need to work on this because I know that I'm not perfect. I don't have it all figured out. And if I'm willing to say that to my right-hand men that are in our men's discipleship, if I'm willing to say, hey, I know I'm not perfect. I need to work on this. Then obviously we're not about preaching us. We're about preaching Jesus. Because it's through Him that people are born again. It's through Him that eternities change. It's through Him that lives are blessed and helped. Amen. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts. He shined in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That means in us, this is, this is our earthen vessel, in us is this treasure that He's given each and every one of us as a born-again believer. What are we doing with this earthen vessel? What are we doing with this light that's inside of us? What are we doing with the truth that's in each and every one of us? If we're, if we're shining out for others to see the light of God in us, to see the, the essence of Jesus Christ in our lives, then when the enemy attacks, we know that we, we can't faint. We can't lose heart. Even though he tries, he fights claws like a, like, a, like a cat that you just threw water on. <laughs> uh, you're trying to 
trying to hold a cat and you just throw water on it and it's not trying to fight and scrap and trying to get out of you, out of your, and trying to claw your face and try to claw your eyes out. Even though he may fight us like that, we can't lose heart because of what we're doing if we know that we're shining the light of Jesus Christ. That's not just for us as a church. That's for us as individuals as well. Amen. Verse 7 again. But, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. I love how Paul writes this. It's all about God, not of us. It's all about God, not of us. <laughs> Mark these next verses. We are troubled. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not distressed. But we're not crushed. <laughs> we're troubled on every side. We're pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. <laughs> we are perplexed, but not in despair. Desperate people do desperate things, and that usually means that they're acting out of emotion and not rationality or not self-control. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. Before we go any further, all of this is because we're walking with Jesus Christ, because we are found in God the Father, because His light is in us, because we belong to Him. He's the reason that we're not these things, that we are blessed and taken care of. Verse 9, persecuted, but not forsaken. Persecuted. People coming against us, people, things going on, persecution, but we're not forsaken. We're not left by ourselves. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. We're struck down, but not destroyed. The enemy tries to swat at you, tries to do everything he can to knock you down, but you're not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Wait a minute. There's that word always. What did we say Thursday night? In our household, we don't say always and never. But if God says it, He means it. Because for humans, that's an emotional statement or an emotional word. But for God, He's meaning it. Always bearing about the body, about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. So that means that we are always, we should always be bearing the, the essence of Jesus Christ, who He is, His gospel, what He has done for us, His death, burial, and resurrection, but that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body, that is evident to those around us. Last verse. For we which live are already delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. So that means we've already died to our sins. We've already went through that kind of death. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So when we die to our sins, when we die to ourselves, we die to the things that the world is trying to get us to be tempted by, when we choose that we will deny ourselves, and the Word also tells us to die to ourselves, we pick up, Jesus, we pick up the cross that God has for us, and we follow Jesus, we're going to manifest the things of God in our mortal flesh. So even using this corruptible body and how we live and how we are pleasing unto God, living in faith, we can still shine and reflect the, the love, the light of God, the Word of God, and who we are because we're found in Him. As We could also say the positional truths of who we are 
in Ephesians chapter 1. Amen. So I encourage you, don't let the enemy dis- discourage you. Don't let the enemy make you feel defeated. Don't let the enemy think he's got you licked, he's got you beat, because you're not. You may, the enemy may be trying to do a lot of things to you, but we're overcomers. We're more than conquerors. We are alive in Christ. And we are victors when it comes to the things of the enemy. Amen. So we preach to help others. We share that light. We share the love of God. We cast our cares on Jesus Christ. We resist the enemy. And we faint not and we renounce evil. That's what we're called to do. We're called to submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. So don't give up. Don't quit. I like Lester Summerall's testimony. I think I have the CD somewhere at the house. It says, I did not quit. That was his testimony. Was, I, may, I don't know if it was the last recording he ever did, but one of the, one of the things toward the, the, the latter end of his life, he said, I did not quit. <laughs> so may we be like Paul in that regard. We ran our race. We kept the faith. Either until Jesus comes back to rapture God's people out of here, or until we take our final breath. Either way, we didn't quit. We ran our race. We kept the faith that we were pleasing unto God. Amen. Amen.